0: What was that? What was Did what? someone just get abducted? And just... just <laughs> <laughs> was, was there like a car outside the room? Did somebody there just go was the street? that
1: pick it? My mic picked that up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it sounded like it was something fucking beaming down.
1: <laughs> so you're telling me, okay, cut that part out, and I'm going to re say it because that means I get a second chance to say burglary. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I sound like a sports announcer. (laughs)
1: Hello, listeners. (laughs) Is anyone alive out there? (laughs) Welcome to episode four of season one. Of our podcast, Majored in Psych. We apologize for the delay in publishing this, but we had to do a re-recording. As you can tell, we still have not gotten the hang of recording our voices yet and making it as clear as possible, and we've tried every bit of technology under the sun. This is how I know God isn't
0: real, because no matter how hard I try, nothing wants to work. <laughs> but whatever. We're really out here struggling. Yeah. Um. So today, again, since this is Cognitive Calamities, we have two more cases for you that are psychology-related, or in my case, kind of just psychology-adjacent. <laughs> 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 but it's still in that category. Um, before we get started, we wanted to do our usual plug. If you um, can spare a couple bucks to consider donating to charities for Flint and sorry for flint and puerto rico um there's a link on our website majoredinsych.com if you just scroll down a little bit there's um a link that'll take you to where you can pick which charity you'd like to donate to
1: and of course um puerto rico relief efforts are especially important because hurricane season is right around the corner Um, global warming is real our weather is getting worse so who knows what kind of plights the u.s is going to get taylor's allergies
0: are getting worse
1: yes there's pollen (laughs) everywhere like everywhere guys (laughs) i cannot stress how debilitating this season has been and i thought it was over but apparently there was, like, a two, three-week period of, like, rest, and now a whole new set of flowers and grass are blooming, so I have to live through this. I feel like spring's not going to end till like, the end of July. I shouldn't be laughing, but that's just so ridiculous. It's terrible. I'm actually
0: going to see my doctor next week. So, everyone pray for me. <laughs> um. Also, for anybody out there with a uterus, we just want to send some love. We've been have we know this week has been or past couple weeks actually has just been very exhausting, so we just want to send some positive vibes your way and hope you're doing okay.
1: Hashtag my body my choice. That's it. Like Re- there's no arguments to fucking this
0: tweet. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think it's my turn to go first. Tiz. tis. tis. Okay, because <laughs> we're in the 18th <laughs> century. <laughs> it was. My turn. <laughs> okay, um, so for my case this week, I'm sort of piggybacking off of two subjects that I covered before. So this is going to be a little mix of Fully I Do, um, and it's also reminiscent of episode three's ending. Um, the case of michael solarzano who pleaded insanity in the murder of his wife so i'm going to be doing kind of a more in-depth uh what is it called analysis sure i'm going to be doing (laughs) a more in-depth uh analysis of in the insanity defense and i'm going to be talking about a female perpetrator, actually, this time. Um, so for the actual history of what an insanity defense is, I got most of that from Wikipedia. Um, but for the case that I'm going to cover, I pulled from Murderpedia, The Washington Post, and CBS News articles. This is a somewhat recent case, and it also pulls from our home state. So that's always fun. <laughs> What's it called? Murderland? <laughs> Close <laughs> enough. <laughs> oh my god. Alright, so exemption from full criminal punishment. Um, so rules and regulations around that dates all the way back to the Code of Hammurabi, which I vaguely remember discussing in like 5th grade, but still don't
1: have a clue what the fuck it is. But um, I... I'm sorry. It's familiar, right? Social studies. Yeah, it was... I think it was a lesson on um, the land that was called Mesopotamia.
0: Yeah, I was about to I say. I probably butchered
1: that. And he was the guy who was known for, like, doing an eye for an eye in terms of punishment. Oh, yeah. So, like, if you did something, you, that exact thing that you did would have to be bestowed onto you. I don't know why I remember that fact <laughs> in seventh grade, but...
0: Yes, uh, I was about to say, it's a uh, Babylonian code of law from ancient Mesopotamia. 7th grade Taylor pulling through. Ooh, we don't talk about 7th grade <laughs> Taylor. <laughs> huh? Okay, never mind. I was going to call you out, but I'm not going to. Can't believe you put me on blast! <laughs> uh, so... Further laws over time include the Monoton rule, the Durham rule, the nineteen fifty three. This is a mouthful. The nineteen fifty three British Royal Commission on Capital Punishment report, the Alley rule, which is kind of um, the most recent. Like what we go off now for the most part, which is the American Legal Institute model penal code, and. What all of these rules have in common is um, a lacking of mens rea, which uh, translate to guilty mind. In NGRI, or Not Guilty by Reason of Insanity, these defenses are pleas used by defendants who claim that they are not criminally responsible for their crimes. So here the burden of proof is placed on the defendant, or the defendant's team, I guess, that they of their mental incompetence. So they need it's their job to prove that they were they weren't all there in the commission of this crime. So as popularized and sensationalized as insanity pleas kind of are in like crime shows and just media in general, in reality in the US, people only claim insanity about 0.8% of the time. So less than 1% of the time do people actually claim insanity. Out of this 0.8%, only 0.27% of the cases are actually successful. And in fact, 70% of defendants that originally claim insanity end up dropping it before they go to trial.
1: That's, why is that? Like, do they realize it's not going to hold up in
0: court? Well, do you think? In my research it kind of there was several reasons why people would drop it so it seemed like one of the main ones is that so when you claim insanity and it works usually your sentence is served out in a mental hospital rather than a prison and sentences in hospitals tend to be longer and there's mm, right there's more um, restrictions on your release and once you do get out you have to follow like, um, almost like parole regulations about you know like you have to take this medicine you have to see a psychologist this many times like maybe there's supervision involved and then there's just also the stigma of like having to re-enter society as someone who is designated criminally insane so there's a there's i can see how there could be a lot of drawbacks
1: yeah and it just doesn't seem worth it at that point
0: yeah exactly Um, I thought it was interesting that, interesting but not surprising, that women typically have more success with this plea, and, you know, this is just a perfect example of how toxic masculinity hurts everyone, folks, because on the one hand, it might be more successful for women because women are already, like, stereotyped as hysterical. So, like, they can be... It's easier for the public to see a woman as going insane. But on the other hand, like, men just aren't allowed to have mental illnesses in society's eyes. Like, it's just... It's demasculating and they don't talk about it when really some people... Some men could probably plead insanity and get away with it, but, you know, either they don't want to face the stigma of having a mental illness, or people just wouldn't believe them even if they did come forward.
1: What a catch-22. I hate that.
0: I, know. I just... Just everything all the time is a catch-22. <laughs> um, so, it's important to distinguish that this is not the same as a crime of passion, temporary insanity at least in today's standards that wasn't always the case Um, but in the case of NGRIs the psychiatric disease needs to be episodic or persistent not from provocation so uh, some famous people who claimed insanity include some of the the big ins some of the you know really high profile serial killers like Ed Gein John Wayne Gacy Jeffrey Dahmer there was also a man named Jonathan Schmitz who he he went on this talk show and he thought that like it was about like revealing crushes and he went on this talk show and he thought it was going to be his ex-girlfriend wanting to get back together with him but it was actually a gay man who was admitting his crush on Schmitz, and Schmitz attacked him and killed him. Wait, this happened on live television? He didn't kill him on live television. The, the like, pronunci- the pronouncement of, like, the gay man having a crush on him happened on live television. But he later, like, hunted him down and killed him. Good lord. Right? And then, of course, okay. <laughs> a really famous case is Lorena Bobbitt, who chopped off her husband's dick because he cheated on her. My girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't do that. Um, don't mutilate, please. No, please. We don't condone for that. For the love of God. Just leave him. Just get a divorce. Okay. Anyway. Um So the origin story for this plea in the United States actually comes from a man named Daniel Sickles, who we hate, just saying. Um, He killed a man for having an affair with his wife, um, which would be reminiscent of a crime of passion, so it probably wouldn't be considered, um, it probably wouldn't fly as a NGRI like today, but that was sort of like the origin of how you know, rules like this came to be. But this guy sucks because he married his 15-year-old wife Teresa when he was 33. That's
1: absolutely disgusting.
0: So again, uh, it's also important to note that just because someone has a mental disorder does not mean that they can plead insanity. The, The disorder kind of has to be The disorder kind of has to be directly involved in the crime so i when we recorded the first time i kind of described it as like a flare-up like they it has to be it has to be persistent like over their life but it's it's normally attributed to like um psychotic disorders more than anything but that's not always necessarily the case yeah
1: and i mean that makes sense like you can't I feel like there has to be a connection there. Like, you don't murder someone and then blame it on having anxiety. Exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, And just like anything else, these definitions kind of go state by state. But a pretty common language among all of them is that to plead insanity, it needs to be provable that the defendant could not quote-unquote appreciate the magnitude of their offense and had no indication of what they were doing was wrong necessarily. So now that I got that out of the way, I'm going to get into my case. And this is, I, I actually changed it up a little bit. So this is going to be kind of a surprise for you. Um, oh man, I'm excited. <laughs> this, this is, it's super tragic. Um, so in the early morning, hours of January 17, 2014, Montgomery County Police arrived at the home on Cherry Bend Drive in Germantown, Maryland, after a 911 call was made by a neighbor. The neighbor reported seeing a baby in a car for an hour or so and witnessed the mother talking to herself. Um, upon arrival, the police were greeted with nothing less than a pretty grisly scene. Uh, the first thing they saw was mother of four, Zagaya a- Avery, coming down the stairs, holding her eight-year-old son, Martello. She passed the officers and attempted to escape out the back door of her townhouse. Uh, upon further investigation of the house, they found one-year-old Narelle, two and two-year-old Zayana lifeless in their mother's bed in the bedroom next door they found five-year-old tanaya alive but just barely she was kind of clinging to life what the fuck these are really young children the youngest is one and the oldest is only eight so these are really really young children so the officers arrested avery and her friend slash roommate monifa sanford who was only 21 During the interviews, Avery and Sanford admitted to being members of the Demon Assassin cult, of which Avery was the commander and Sanford was the sergeant. Avery and Sanford created a small sect with two other women from the Exousia Ministries, where they all met. So they all met at a church. The goal of this small sect or this cult was to hunt down demons and expel them, basically. That that was the whole thing. So, eventually the women stopped going to the traditional church services altogether and focused all of their energy exclusively on the demon assassins' cult. Um, Naturally, Avery and Sanford claimed that Avery's children were possessed by demons. They told detectives that this idea of the children being possessed came from seeing their eyes roll in the back of their head, their eyes turning black, seeing a black cloud hanging over their heads, and even seeing demons jump into one-year-old Norell's body. Sure. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: See, when you said the eyes rolling in the back of the head, I was thinking, oh, maybe that child was actually having seizures. Mm-hmm. But... Everything else... <laughs> yes. Nope. <laughs> crack of shit. shit.
0: Um, and what they said was an attempted exorcism. The woman tried to snap his neck and choke him. When this didn't work, they stabbed him. Here, and this is a one-year-old. I just... Oh my a god. A one-year-old. Okay. Here they said that the demons... They saw the demons leave his body. Which... Congratulations. fucking lesions. Upon leaving Narelle, the demon jumped out of the baby's body and into Sanford, who was then also attacked by Avery. So the mother and her roommate Sanford attacked this child and the demon then, you know, had to go to a different vessel and attached to Sanford and then Avery went after Sanford too. Mm-hmm. but after the attacks the I don't know, I, I'm assuming Avery got the demon out of Sanford. um because after the attacks the two women showered together and cleaned the dead children of blood in an attempt to prepare them to see God in heaven I hate <sighs> this they just
1: this shit's crazy bro it is and like I don't want to like judge i don't know if i should say judge them but i understand there was obviously like mental illness going on here for them to believe in this so thoroughly but it's still disgusting you know it's
0: just also weird that this happened five years ago like a half hour away from us you know and i and i've never heard of it which is crazy
1: i lost my place
0: oh (laughs) um in the end, Narelle and Zayana, who were the two youngest, were killed. Tanaya and Martello were critically injured, but ultimately survived. Which How traumatizing. Jesus Christ. How do you
1: come back from that? No.
0: And, like, Martello, like, Z- Zayana, or sorry, Tanaya was fairly young, so she might not retain, like, all of the memories. But Martello's eight, and that's old enough for him to make, you know, solid long-term memories
1: oh yeah and associated with your own family
0: fuck man
1: so upon their arrest
0: and indictments judge gary everngam i hope <laughs> um ordered psychiatric evaluations for both avery and sanford both had had m- mental illness issues in the past um avery had been committed to a hospital um in not so recent past, but not too long. A few years, pretty much before the murders occurred. And Sanford had attempted suicide twice. Originally, Sanford was deemed criminally insane, but Avery was not given the same ruling right off the bat. Um, many were suspicious because of her attempted escape. And um, the officers said, we believe that sh- she knew what she did. Was wrong. However, neither woman appeared to be outwardly remorseful for what they did. So their justification was you know, if she was truly insane and she thought what she was doing was morally correct, why did she try to run? Mm -hmm. But her defense attorney defended her, saying the only way to understand her actions in this case is to factor in her mental illness, her delusional belief that her children were being possessed by demons. She clearly, at the time, thought that this was the proper and moral thing to do. Which is, I I can see that. I can see his justification, I can't see her excuse, but I I can see how he would say that- Spin it. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, eventually, though, they both pled not guilty by reason of insanity, and, you know, as always, nobody, you know, family or friends, anyone surrounding the two had seen this coming. Um, I saw something where Avery's cousin was, you know, just, excuse me, Avery's cousin was just so sad because she said, you know, my cousin, like, loved her kids, and we we just couldn't believe that she would do something like this which is that something like that always comes out of cases like this
1: mm-hmm.
0: um so the circuit court judge who presided over the bench trial i think his name was mccann um, to determine if avery was criminally insane he said her mission and plan were quite convoluted disjointed and elaborate i find her statements inconsistent with a rational brain The inescapable conclusion I draw is that she believed she was providing for her children's salvation. What rational, normal-thinking human being could possibly conclude that their children would be better off dead than alive? (sighs) Again, pretty fair point. He also attributed Avery uh, quitting her psychiatric medication shortly before because she thought that God had cured her of her illness so only weeks before the murder she had stopped taking her psych medications
1: and the reason she stopped taking it was because she had like another psychotic break
0: yeah she th- which is weird so evidently whatever she was taking wasn't um covering all the bases of what she was going through additionally avery's defense attorney cited a shared diary between the women avery and Stanford, where they documented relationships they had with spirits. The diary included love notes, dark information of the impending apocalypse, and a grocery list for the demon assassin's dinner party. Wait, uh-huh. say that again? That last one? <laughs> a grocery list for a demon's assassin dinner party.
1: Did they refer to themselves as the Demon Assassins? Yep. Like they were the so they were planning ahead for they were
0: they were planning a, f- a party. They they had a list for a party.
1: Yep, that is so thorough, and it's only
0: four people, but whatever. Um, the diary hmm. the diary also included assertions that the president and the first lady, who was Obama and uh, Michelle at the time, were shapeshifters, and that the Pope was the devil's messenger
1: i mean the shapeshifter thing is like well first of all obama and michelle have probably heard it all at this point Yeah, they're, so you know they're in the illuminati. let's just keep villainizing them but there's actually a conspiracy out there that like people in politics are lizard people not even like, politics that's a thing. just
0: like like celebrities with a lot of power pretty much jesus it's the illuminati that's like <laughs> i sound like fucking ryan okay <laughs> <laughs> So, in the end, the judge found that neither Avery nor Sanford were criminally responsible. They said that Avery demonstrated symptoms of bipolar disorder with psyche- psychotic attributes as well as borderline personality disorder. Uh, both were sentenced to time in a psychiatric hospital. Um, Sanford took a plea deal. They didn't go too much into her side because you know like Avery was the mother so I guess like media coverage focused um, more strongly on her. In the case of Avery Judge McCann said that she would only be released if they believe she would never harm anyone again and stayed on a trick medication routine. However he didn't see this ever happening due to her past of quitting drugs without medical direction so he doesn't think that Avery is ever going to get out.
1: Yeah, and that's, like, a risk you don't want to take, considering what she's done. Yeah. Like, ugh.
0: Yeah, so... That's sad. Oh, <sighs> well, that was it. My incredibly depressing case. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so
1: sorry. <laughs> that is a really... That was a good case, though. I mean, the last one was, like, interesting, too, obviously, but this one was just, like, super more gruesome.
0: I feel like the the... So the the episode we didn't release I talked about um Mary Winkler and I feel like with that case it was it was way more gray like it was very much like you kind of have to make your own determi- determination if you think this woman you know was quote unquote insane or not um but with this it's 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 pretty clear that her their crimes were a result of you know, tragic mental illness that wasn't being treated. And the children just ended up paying the price. And they're paying their price, too. I mean, like, psychiatric hospitals are no picnic, so.
1: That's so sad. Yeah. Just innocent children who got caught up in that. It's one thing, I feel like, to have a psychotic break and, like, do something to yourself, or even to, like, another adult. Not that that makes it any better, but when, like, a child gets involved. Right. And they're completely vulnerable. And they're also,
0: like, they're black women, so, like, I I can only imagine that, like, so, like, her not, her having a psychotic break while she was on medicine, like, I have a feeling she wasn't being taken very seriously for what she was oh, being yeah. treated for.
1: That's just, like, a whole nother level of intersectionality. Okay. So I'm up next... My case is on Kitty Genovese and the bystander effect.
0: My favorite. Sorry.
1: (laughs) No, no. My only thing is like, I remember this case from like forever ago. I don't remember the context, but I remember learning about it. And like, as of recently, I feel like the fame that surrounded this case has died off because of the new developments that have happened. Like they realized that the media completely exaggerated the story so
0: okay but it was still like i mean tell your story obviously but like as you guys will see like no matter the exaggeration like this woman was extremely disserviced so yeah
1: and that's the thing like even though like the the narration itself was exaggerated i feel like people just ignore the fact that an actual human being got killed exactly it's not like she died for this bystander effect to come into play, like, okay. Let me just stop (laughs) spoiling it and just read. Okay. So, Catherine Genovese was known as Kitty. Um, she lived with her partner, Marianne Zilonco, in an apartment in Kew Gardens within Queens, New York. She worked as a manager at a bar called Eve's Eleventh Hour. So, one night, she... Huh? That's a cool name. Oh, you scared me. That whisper just freaked me out. (laughs) Um... So one night, she was coming home from, obviously, a late shift. She worked at a bar on March March thirteenth nineteen 1964. Uh, her attacker had been said to have first spotted her while she was waiting for a traffic light to change, implying that he had possibly been following her home. But the reports kind of differ whether he stumbled upon her before or after this. Genovese was reported to only have noticed him after she had gotten out of her car and she had saw a man in the corner area of the parking lot by her apartment building. At this point, she was only about 100 feet away, so she continued walking, not thinking anything of it, but this man blindsided her while wielding a knife, a hunter's knife to be exact, and began to stab her repeatedly. The first screams from her were believed to be heard around 3.20 a.m., this shit gives me the
0: heebie-jeebies.
1: It's terrifying, and you know what? It's not like anything's changed because oh. women are still terrified to walk home alone and in the dark. Like, this woman was just walking to her house. She's done it millions of times before.
0: You know, people want to say that, like, the media makes us more scared of stuff, but if anything, I think generationally, like, over, the you know, the past, like, few decades, if anything, like, it's hidden shit that we're supposed to be scared of. Like, I Mm -hmm. feel like, I don't know if it's just because, like, we're desensitized or, or what, but I feel like this stuff happens, like, so often.
1: And it's not always, like, something extreme like this, but even getting catcalled or having, like, a random stranger stare at you, those little things still validate fear. So several neighbors had reported to hear her cries, but they would later testify that they didn't distinguish them as sounds of distress and i mentioned this before even if you have never heard someone screaming bloody murder you can't tell me if it's three in the morning and you hear someone screaming you're not just going to turn over and go back to sleep (laughs) like that doesn't compute
0: i feel like there's some instinctual level of knowing what sounds of distress sound like it's just exactly you don't feel like being a part of it is what it is
1: allegedly um A neighbor did intervene and called out his window, saying something along the lines of, Hey, leave her alone. But, I will repeat myself, this man did nothing further to help her, even though he literally acknowledged that this woman was in danger so much that he said something to the attacker, but he didn't think to, like, check in on her later? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. (laughs) I just like I'm reading this the second time and I'm still like bewildered like this could have been prevented. Right. I truly think that someone could have intervened or at least she would not have been killed. If you see um,
0: something, say something. That's
1: on every subway I've ever ridden Take and away in every airport. Of the day
0: if you see something. And I don't I'm not talking about a bomb. <laughs> Doesn't have to be that. No. If you see somebody being
1: harassed, like fucking say something. Holy shit. So after the neighbor had um yelled at the attacker, the attacker did get scared away. So he fled, but he returned about ten minutes and one source says that he was wearing a hat. So I guess he like dipped and grabbed like a feeble disguise. And he basically <laughs> the fucking came glasses back. with the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> That's what his disguise was. <laughs> No, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Like a hat. I've pictured like a really big, like large brim sun hat too.
0: That's like when Steve Rogers goes out in the public and he just puts on like a navy blue cap and (laughs) in a bomber jacket and he's like, I'm not cats in America.
1: (laughs) He just wears sunglasses. Not sunglasses, eyeglasses. Um So witnesses saw Mosley that is the attacker's name enter his car, drive away, but Returned ten minutes later. At this point, Kitty was barely alive. She had to half-stagger, half-drag herself around the building to where her apartment door was. But in the process of doing this, she subsequently put her, herself out of the eyes of other witnesses. No. <laughs> Neighbors did not call the police until closer to 3.50 a.m., and it was reported that she died in the ambulance. Um, this incident happened four years before the 911 system was implemented in New York. So before then, you just had to dial zero and hope that you'd get connected to an emergency line in time. Could like there imagine? was no line that prioritized medical or violent emergencies. Wow. <sighs> so... Um, the attacker not only killed her, but he raped her and robbed her of $49, which I guess, considering inflation prices, is probably a lot more today, but no amount of money is worth someone's life oh. anyway.
0: <laughs> I mean, like that's like three, you know, damn near- well, I mean, like, two capital offenses. I'm not sure, like, I don't know, like you said, I don't know what the inflation would be, but that's, that's still- You know, robbery or burglary or whatever. So, like, he's got three major crimes, like, in one 15-minute period. It's crazy. It's just,
1: it was senseless. Um, And then the police didn't exactly do Kitty justice in finding her murderer. They brought her girlfriend in for questioning. The interrogation lasted six hours, and the police primarily focused on the girl's relationship. What? Because they were in a homosexual relationship, apparently... That was obviously a bias that they had. They thought that Marianne was somehow connected to the murder. What the
0: hell does who you have sex with have to do with you being murdered?
1: And I get it. In, like, the grand scheme of things, I know that when there is someone who's murdered, they usually yeah, look at, like, the intimate yeah. family and significant others, but the fact that this lasted six hours, like, what could you possibly have to ask this woman unless you were just zeroing in on her because you're discriminated
0: yeah and i can't I, I guess they probably didn't have rape kids back then so maybe they could tell that she was like assaulted in some way but they couldn't tell that it was like a person or like you know like penis penetration or like me or like a thing so like yeah,
1: yeah i don't know so winston mosley was caught and arrested during a house burglary because a detective recognized his car as one similar to what was reported on the night of the murder so eventually he did get caught but not soon enough. And they learned from Mosley that he just wanted to go out and kill a woman. So Kitty just happened to be a random victim that was in the wrong place at the wrong time.
0: That makes me want to die.
1: They did not know each other. It's just, it's mind-blowing. But the reason this case is so sensationalized is because not long after her murder on March 27th, the New York Times published an article written by journalist Martin Gansberg with the headline, 37 who saw murder and didn't call the police so they were implying that 37 people individual people in some way shape or form saw kitty's murder and did not help her ultimately contributing to her murder (laughs) jesus oh my god and they no sorry go ahead no no no. i was just just yeah Yeah. (laughs) commenting (laughs) yeah they justify the headline by saying like the time lapse between when kitty was first attacked and when police finally arrived was half an hour so like the attack itself i think only lasted about a third of that time so they could have gotten help sooner like when people first heard the screams yeah um they also mentioned the number of people who saw or heard the attacks but did not help and the excuses given by witnesses but for why they did not help her included stuff like, I, did, I just didn't want to get involved. <laughs> that, Which is fine. You know, someone died, but it, you didn't want to get involved.
0: This isn't like seeing like, two people arguing in
1: public.
0: This is, you heard a blood-curdling scream.
1: Exactly! I just, the circumstances do not justify their actions. I tried so hard. To, like, put myself in their place. Yeah. And I'm, like, I would be terrified for my life. If I'm not calling the police for her, I'd call it for myself. Like, oh, uh, I heard screams outside my apartment.
0: Yeah, especially the guy that popped his head out like, Leave her
1: alone. Like, he- Yeah, what did he do? Like, just go back to sleep? Oh. <laughs> Hope she's okay. Shit. <laughs> so, um, in 2016... Three years ago, the New York Times admitted that their reporting was flawed and they had grossly exaggerated the amount of witnesses. So this is what I was talking about earlier, where this case was so huge because everyone had the idea in their heads that almost 40 people did not help this woman. But the New York Times did admit only recently that they kind of played on the just the concept of people not intervening and made up this wildly large number however i was unable to find like the exact number of witnesses that they interviewed and i feel like unless they were able to get a hold of like every single person in the vicinity the number probably differs depending on the source like who knows who heard it and just like didn't go to police about it
0: yeah, like, who's going to come forward and be like... Like, after you find out that this girl was raped and murdered... Who's, like, going to come forward and be like... Oh, I, I saw something, but I, I didn't do anything about it. Like, <laughs>
1: nobody's going to want to admit to that after the fact. Exactly. So, this um, instance... Rest in peace, Kitty. Led to the bystander effect, also known as Genovese Syndrome. It was a term created by social psychologists that refers to the phenomenon of the presence of others discouraging an individual from intervening in an emergency situation so it's like this group mentality that someone else is going to step forward so you don't have to but with, with with everyone thinking that way no one actually intervenes so it's totally counterproductive the
0: psychology of groups and like like social
1: psychology
0: is just fascinating, like, it's, it's really, like, a, like, a, um, oh my god, what is that word? Uh, it's, like, a testament to empathy, because, like, if you're in a group setting, and, like, you all kind of, like, have the same feeling about the situation, and, like, be like, oh, this person's going to do it. No, this person's going to do it. I don't have to do it. This person's going to do it. And it's like, you're all in this immediate area and, like, none of you's doing anything. It's so strange.
1: It's, yeah. And then, like, ultimately no one ends up taking the initiative, which is so, like, it's frustrating. But I know I've been in situations oh, yeah, where yeah. I've probably thought the same, so I can't even. Or, like, especially, like, as a woman it's hard
0: to interfere in those kinds of situations because it's like i don't want my life to be in danger now
1: right and that's something you have to take into consideration you don't know how like the person is going to react toward you um these same psychologists as they were studying this phenomenon more and more they um realize that the more bystanders obviously the less likely it is that one of them is going to help so, on the opposite end of that, if you're the only one witnessing some something going on, you probably automatically feel responsible to step in. You, you don't have anyone to, like, shift the responsibility on.
0: Right, there's, like, instances of stuff happening in really... Oh, I gotta see. <coughs> oh my goodness, excuse me. There's instances of stuff happening in, like, really crowded cities. And people are you know so busy going on about their day like in a crowded like street that they're not even paying attention to another person let alone you know intervening in a
1: conflict i feel like the city of new york is a perfect example of that like when people try to do like those social experiments you will see like people just walk on by because that's just the mentality in new york it's busy everyone's on their phones everyone's going to work like you rarely ever see people stop because that's just the mindset i'm not saying it's a good thing maybe that's just like all urban settings i wouldn't know because i've never lived in a city but there's greater like individualism
0: like an individualist Mm -hmm. attitude and because like as somebody that did grow up in a city like you kind of learn to keep to yourself to like protect yourself so like i can kind of see where that comes from but it's just, like, yeah. like, you like you brought up before, like, what would you do? The show is just, like, a perfect example of this.
1: Yes! And that is something that branches off of both Kitty and the Bystander Effect is the show um, on ABC called What Would You Do, in which they put scripted actors in situations such as um, a spouse abusing his or her significant other and they do this in a public area and they have hidden cameras that capture how complete strangers react to this happening some people step in other people replicate the bystander effect to a t and they're kind they'll like look over and they acknowledge something's wrong but they don't really directly put themselves into what's happening yeah um it's i really want to watch this show i haven't even watched it when i looked it up but i remember oh i love it the one that stands out to me the most is when they had a boyfriend quote-unquote abusing his girlfriend and then they switched the roles and had the girlfriend being abusive Mm -hmm. to the boyfriend and so many more people stepped in when it was a guy attacking a girl Rather than the girl attacking a guy. And I'm pretty sure they interviewed some people after. And a lot of people were like, oh, well, he can defend himself. No! Like, total disgusting double standard. How about nobody anybody? Abusive relationships towards males. It was bad.
0: <laughs> that's like, that's just, it's so disgusting. And it's, it's so like, it's almost like violence from woman, women, like against men was like romanticized for a long time like uh, uh, yeah
1: it's also like comedic in some yeah. instances like people find it funny if like a girlfriend like threatens to like kill her boyfriend the dramatic slap, slap, or- slap, slap across the face like when they
0: get into an argument or like when she's really upset and she starts like punching him and trying to push him away and shit like, like that shit's not romantic like stop fucking just kidding people
1: men don't report it as much doesn't mean it's not happening it's just because no one fucking believes them when they come forward or they feel like they have an obligation to just get over it
0: and that kind of like goes back to my case too with like insanity defenses like you need to believe people when they say you know something's not right like i don't feel okay mentally like regardless of gender like it should not be a gendered mental illness should not be a gendered issue
1: Absolutely not. And once someone comes forward and they're, like, put down, they're probably never going to come forward again. They will just continue to gaslight themselves. I, like, I'm
0: going to do, like, a really condensed version of this story. But, like, um, I went to the counseling center once in my four Ooh. years of undergrad. And I don't even particularly remember what brought me there. But I saw a male psychologist or intern psychologist, which I will, I, I will never do again, um, who completely derailed the conversation and tried to put words in my mouth, try to make me say things that I didn't mean. And like... It's one of those cases where, like, it's almost like false confessions, almost, where, like, they, in situations like that, you just say what you know they want you to hear, so the session can be over, and you can leave. And then, like, I never went back. Like,
1: you... Yeah, because it's not worth putting up a fight at that point. Right. If no one's listening to you, you just, you're, you kind of resign yourself to the fact that this is a lost cause. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous.
0: Right. Speak up. Hold your ground.
1: <laughs> yeah that is um essentially all i have as well all
0: right guys that's all we have for you this week i hope you liked it
1: thank you for listening um i'm sure our outro is going to give you the the usual spiel but <sighs> we will get back on track soon we're just really trying to perfect this audio and we don't want to crank out half-assed videos like i personally would rather that we take more time giving something quality so if this happens again of course you can check our social media we'll be updating it to let you guys know
0: um take care of yourselves donate if you can me and taylor are going to a mac and cheese festival this weekend so we're gonna be m.i.a <laughs> I wait, i'm so <laughs> I'm excited so fucking <laughs>
1: <laughs> we should. Alright, bye guys. Have a great day. Night. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever time of day it is. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Majored in Psych. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Majored in Psych or Instagram at Majored in Psych podcast. We also have a website, Majoredinpsych.com, where you can find all supporting images for today's episode.
0: Music is by Ryan Little. You can find him at I am Ryan Little on Twitter. Please leave us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes if you enjoyed our episode today. And we will see you next week.
1: Bye-bye.